I've been doing nothing but working. Oh, out. okay. I have a fun announcement for us before we go into the podcast. Oh boy. And that's that you and I are going to ToyCon this weekend. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. Guess who? Uh, you know, if you want to, hey, you want to make it your favorite problematic list? Guess who just bought a fancy Barbie about two days before I'm going to ToyCon? Which In fancy- my defense, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, listener, because Ari has been looking at fancy Barbies for some time now. Yeah. Okay. So I should probably my current white whale is um the okay so this is gonna require this is actually sort of kind of relevant to the other stuff i have to talk about so there's the i was the bit i I mean is is this relevant just go just go ahead okay listen i there's a lot of context and backstory to my fancy barbies my point is is we're going to toy con i bought a fancy barbie because she was only 30 dollars, and i need you to understand that yes that sounds like a lot of money but she normally goes for 170 inbox, but I don't like inbox. I've never, I, I, I'm not personally a fan of inbox, um, and I never have been, because I like being able to display my Barbies. So if I didn't buy her now for $30, I would spend like 80 to 100 and then not be able uh, to take her out of the box. And I hate that listeners- shit. Um, you know how nerdy characters always talk about like trading card prices and shit being mint in box and stuff like that. It's actually like that. Hey, the custom, uh, the custom, the custom firmware worked. Go team. Okay, Sorry. awesome. It's actually we actually are that bad. I'm not really a mint in box either, but I do prefer new. I prefer. I mean, like here's the thing: is there are certain things. I like to buy toys that need a fix up and refurbish them. I really do truly enjoy that. But for certain things, I want to have the um, mint version of it as well. So I have like three different versions of certain ponies because some of them are more beat up than others. So I cleaned them up and I repainted them and I gave them custom hair jobs or I did this and that. There's like varying degrees and you don't usually just have one version of something if you really love it. You have like multiple versions and people will um, sort of like quality age stuff out of their collection and so on and so forth. So, you know, the point is, is I'm really excited for ToyCon. Go team. I mean, Um, one of the best parts about my friendship with Ari is that I didn't, I've collected dolls for a long time and I've never really you know people are always like it's so weird that you collect dolls and like is it probably but at least we have each other and I think that's yeah exactly aren't you Listen. sorry that you've been listening to our opinions for like how many episodes of this do we have now I don't I don't know oh god I haven't counted have, isn't that horrible? aren't you sorry you've been here this whole time you've been listening to I mean, doll collectors listen listen we do, we okay i can't say that we don't talk about dolls on this podcast we've talked about dolls on this podcast we've talked about dolls quite a bit we've talked about yeah okay so dolls, but like, oh my god wait aren't they doing a puppet doll episode i thought it was just puppets well hopefully it's just puppets because if it's dolls i know listen just, i'm i'm just hoping that we make it through the fucking kaiju episode without you i guess they're doing a kaiju episode i forgot yeah, in, oh, in two no. weeks. In two weeks, they're doing a kaiju episode. So gird oh, your fucking no. loins. Oh Jesus! Okay, so here's the thing: is if they're gonna do a kaiju episode, they better do some good environmental messages because at the heart of kaiju films, there's always been a pro environmental message, and that's why Princess Mononoke is a kaiju film. Prove me wrong. It's just gonna um, be at the end of the episode, the entire team going save the planet, and then they do a jump. No, you laugh. That's literally Godzilla screen. versus the Smog Monster, like Godzilla the Hedorah film. Uh, that's the that's the there there are entire stretches of the movie where that's the only dialogue because the cool, fresh, funky pop band is like playing a song that's literally just 
save the earth but like with cool backing vocals it's like captain planet oh my god (laughs) listen kaiju films are great but they're also like not you know how i've talked before about how comics are a ham-fisted medium kaiju films are also the same way um when will superman and godzilla hang out oh my god haven't that feels like something that has to have happened already i'm gonna i'm gonna google it while we go into the episode okay Okay. Okay. No, there's never been an official Superman meets Godzilla. What? Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, which Well, there was oh, actually fun fact. There was there was actually there were two there's an official Godzilla versus King Kong film. There was also a King Kong film. What? Who won? Um, no. I think they did one of those they did one of those like draw cop outs. That or Godzilla won. Um, I don't remember. Okay. But uh, we, there was actually a Japanese made like Toho made a King Kong kaiju film. But because this was like in 1942, um, we don't have copies of it anymore. And I, I, I'm gonna let our listeners fill in the blanks as to why. We, all we have to prove that it exists is like a couple of surviving promotional photos and some those posters that um film posters that have some photos from like the movie on them, and and like historical record. But there is there is like a Japanese King Kong film. It just doesn't exist because we destroyed it. Oops. I'd, I'd like to I'd like to make the announcement that this week on Supergirl, apparently someone was holding a stuffed Bebo and some guy stepped on it. Good. And I just want to say he's my favorite character in Supergirl now. Yeah, except no, that I'm sure up. we're going to find out that somebody like maybe he's the villain because he stepped on a stuffed animal. Maybe he's like Toy Master part two. No, uh, that would have been when and uh, Jeremy Jordan left the show. Good for him. Yeah, that's oh how I feel. God. But someone's going to be like, that character who stepped on Bebo, that's Hitler in a trench coat. And I'm going to be like, Jesus why, is, fucking why the fuck is Hitler here? And they're going to be like, because Melissa wanted him to be her love interest, allegedly. And it's just going to be, <laughs> I came all this way to make that joke. I'm so proud of you. Um, I came yeah. all this way. I drove we- here. Sorry that we're the worst people. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not the um, one who wants Hitler to be my love interest, allegedly. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, oh my All god. Right. So this... this week's episode was the third episode of the fourth season of Legends of Tomorrow called Dog Save the Queen or uh, Rip Hunter Screams Off Camera. Yeah. I cannot believe they did this episode without Arthur Darville. I'm so sad. Um, like I, I also... uh, this in the Jane Austen episode, I'm like, did you guys just save all your British ideas for like after he left out of spite? Are they trying to tempt him back? Yeah, probably. We're going but to it's do like an Austen episode. Stuff. I swear to God. Okay, so punk is sort of the central turning point of this episode, and that's kind of fun because I think Ari and I both have some like fun personal connections to punk that we're going to get into calmly. Oh, okay. All right. So here's the thing is. I'm going to talk specific. I have, I am literally holding, I am a, holding a book that I have owned since I was 11 years old, but call, uh, written by a guy called Gavin Badley, 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 sure. Called goth chic. Um, I got this when I was 11 years old at a hot topic. I devoured it over the course of like two days. Do you, if, if for my, for our listeners who may have read Discworld, you know, that point when carrot iron Founderson reads the, the laws of Ankh Morpork cover to cover. And just like learns all of them by heart. That was me with this book when I was eleven. I now, studied this. Can I this was, like, interrupt eight. for a moment? 
there's the yeah, there's a reason I'm doing this. Oh, okay. Well, Thank no, I, I knew there was a reason you were doing this, and also I wasn't going to stop you from going off on a tangent. But, yeah, I know, but still. Um, it's just that you said this book was about goth. So are you going to get into Goth and punker. Goth and when it's, it's, it's called goth chic, but it's also one of those things where because of the nature of writing about subcultures, goth and punk tend to get lumped together since punk in certain ways. And it's a little more complicated than that. And I'm not going to go into all the musical history and the fashion history that sort of descended like, but punk was sort of the predecessor to goth. So this book does cover punk music in a major length because a lot of early punk bands. Thank you for clarifying that because that was actually one of my curiosities. And I wanted our listeners to hear that because as you know, one of my greatest pet peeves is remember at the end of season three of agents of shield after Lincoln goes back to to his home planet um no, but okay um daisy puts on she's wearing like this beanie and like this denim vest and she has dark eyeliner and everyone's like goth daisy and i'm like that is punk yeah no absolutely Please. it used to drive me insane you when people were like oh you're emo right i'm like no that i is follow punk. i i keep and I, I was a very serious 11 year old about it as i'm sure you've gathered um so like no i was like i was like um excuse me i'm not emo because it, like i mean looking back as an adult like an adult i'm like okay i was but i also wasn't because no. emo and goth are like emo I've is seen sort that of photo there's a photo of ari at 12 and they have their hair dyed with like what did you dye your hair with i dyed my hair okay so i've dyed my hair as a little kid with like red like a bottle of red ink that i got hot from topic story store. what the hot the story of what we just experienced in a hot topic oh oh god that okay so what happened was um, we were in a hot topic and we were looking for like odds and ends, mostly just fucking around in a mall. And we happened to You're never overhear... too old to fuck around in a mall. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Yeah, fucking around in a mall is forever. Um, so we were just sort of fucking around and then we overheard these young children, and I mean young, they looked like they were like thirteen max, because you can never tell with like that age where they might be 13, like fourteen. Yeah, I don't, like they, I don't know how old kids are. But they nowadays. were like they were like they were babies. So, how like, old they are were kids talking, nowadays? Eight, and one of 12? them, yeah, like I, it's hard to tell, and you never want to ask because they'll get really upset about it. I know I would have, but like we overheard them, and one of them mentioned to her friend in passing that she like wanted to dye her hair black, and this set off alarm bells in my head because when I was like. 11 to 12 I wanted to dye my hair black because a fucking course I did so my hairstylist because I'm have my I had my personal hairstylist because when you live in New Jersey you're just assigned one at birth I, thought, um, I was literally gonna make that joke if you didn't so thank you thank you um, <laughs> but Darcy Darcy said to me she's like I'm not dying your hair black for you I refuse to dye your hair black you are not dying your hair black because it will look like shit like she didn't say shit but she was like because I was like young and she was like no it'll look terrible because your hair is like a light brown so what's going to happen is it's going to grow out it's going to look awful you're gonna have to touch it up constantly and because you don't have the natural sort of highlights and like low lights that people with like natural like dark black hair have you are gonna look flat and it's going to look crappy. And she was right. At the time, I was like, you're all fascist. But she let me dye, like, she let me dye my hair magenta. So I was like, whatever. Um, you know, I got over it. But my point is, is you should not dye your hair black. It, it Like, it just doesn't, unless your hair is already, like, incredibly, incredibly Yeah, dark. so for, for contrast, um, I have very thick, dark hair naturally. My hair has always been like on the border of black and brown. And so yeah. whenever I need to dye my hair back for like work or whatever, I just throw a black on it and it looks totally normal. Yeah. Cause but, then also, cause your natural highlights sort of come yeah. back in, but they gel well enough with black that it doesn't look like jarring. 
Um, so you always look good. So with that, I had to sort of suck it up and forego my dreams of black hair. Um, because my two style icons by like from like the ages of 11 to 15 were like Susie Sue and Emily Autumn, if that gives you some idea. Um, you know, I only found out who Emily Autumn was. Well, actually, no, when you were in middle oh, school, I, love, I, was probably I still love her music. She's, she's, I mean, I never really I was like, isn't that what I I don't want to say this without I don't want you to hate me. No, forever. it's OK. I was a I, I, I was a prep. No, and that's OK. I was as prep One, as because, you could like, be. I was here's the thing. She sang a lot about sexual trauma and violence. And when I was little and didn't really have words for how I felt or what I was going through, I was like, it was just nice to have an artist singing about that stuff. She was like my proto mountain goats. Um, she was really, she was really good for me. I loved, I love, I still, I will still listen to her music. It's genuinely very beautiful. And I listened to it when I was young enough and angry enough and traumatized enough that I really needed it. Um, so that's neither here nor there. My point being is I literally, I debated it because I was, we were standing there and I'm like, I don't want to be the weirdo who approaches two kids in a hot topic. I cannot, I don't want to go over there. And I don't want to be like, I was eavesdropped, but like, I couldn't, I, it was, it was that thing of having a hairdresser assigned to you at birth. Like, like the inner hairdresser in me rose up and said, don't you let her do that. You can't, don't let it her make your the same fucking, mistakes. It is your right as a, your role. Yeah, as, as is my right. From some, so I literally went over child. and we were like, hi, sorry um we're just gonna say we were like we introduced ourselves we're like hi we're so sorry we couldn't help but hear you mention you wanted to dye your hair black don't do it it's gonna look terrible you're not it's not gonna grow out you're gonna it's gonna grow out badly we were a lot nicer than that she was like you have hair that's a lot like mine and this is what my hairdresser told me oh yeah no and like like she wasn't like she wasn't like shaking her like for the love of god for the love of god maureen i'm relating this in terms of how i felt the teenagers talked to her about it was different but inside i was going for the love of god you can't do this you You can't can't do do this this. you made it to talk to you about proper hair maintenance oh yeah um him wearing that fucking shower cap is still like so much that was a real call out in your that was really unfair because i've worn a shower cap to protect my hair when i showered like not infrequently um i mean it's it it's important it is important and it's also like i need to wash my body but my hair is very fine i don't need to wash my hair um i'll i'll overwash it um that's a good point Okay, so to get oh wow, we went like wild off tangent. To get to my point, the reason I the reason I'm using this book as a reference for when I'm talking about nineteen seventy. Please restate the title of the book because we got so far off tangent. Yeah, the book, the Gosh Chic, that I am using as a reference to talk about nineteen seventies punk rock is because this book is a genuinely really good, like deep historical, like it's a good cultural like it's about a lot of it's about one specific subcultures but it pulls from all of these influences that created that subculture so you do end up exposed to a really broad range of topics and films and music and cinema and that was really like it's a big formative influence for me looking back um so this book goes into a lot about the 70s uk punk rock scene uh because it was the precursor to the 80s and 90s which was when goth really like took its foothold and then in the late 90s early 2000s that's when you get emo but even though i listened to emo music i was still very much like a student of goth subculture there are differences and nuances but that's not the point the point being is that english punk rock by and large started because 
David Bowie. Um, not quite, but pretty much. Um, American punk rock started a little bit earlier, and we sort of carried that influence over to England because it's important to note that during the 70s, America and the UK were sort of, you'd come off the high of the 50s post-war era and the 60s, which was just be a slut, do whatever you want. And the 70s were like the hangover decade. There was a lot of... Murder. There was a lot of murder. Um, but there was also, it's it's inaccurate to call it an economic downturn with hindsight. But at the time, because the economy was in this massive post-war boom, it felt like it because they were like back to normal. But normal after like two decades of constant growth felt like a dip. So people were experiencing, you know, an economic downturn that only got worse in the 80s. Thanks, Reagan. Um, that's yeah, neither- so you need to, and like, stop me if and I'm wrong. And also there was a lot of political and social unrest. The IRA yeah. especially was a really big thing in England at the time. Um, well, because... I think one of the things we can fairly say is that a, a large component of punk is that Margaret Thatcher was a cunt. Oh, straight up. And she's in 100%. hell now. 100%. Margaret Thatcher was a cunt and is rotting in hell. And Right next that, to Ronald Reagan. Yes. Um, and Thatcher and Reagan are both sort of two sides of the same shithead coin. And with that in mind, keeping Thatcher and the IRA and an economic sort of leveling off, I don't really want to call it a depression, You this led to a lot of working class disenchantment and anger. And punk is fundamentally working class for good or for ill. And the book, I, which I actually really appreciate and respect, the book goes into some detail about how this sometimes meant that this anger manifested in um, neo-Nazi regalia and um, iconography at the early punk shows. But it also points out that people beat the shit out of the punks yes. who were doing that. And that's fucking valid because that's something I appreciate that Legends didn't talk about it because, yeah. oh, my God. Can May you imagine I step Legends? in for a yeah. moment about that? Please do. Because, you know, there was once a post that sticks, it's very near and dear to my heart. It's punk say oi with an I, and Jewish people say oi with a Y. So what did Jewish punks say? And someone goes, they say we literally invented the genre. Yeah. There oh, was yeah. A Especially lot American of, punk. Yeah. There was a lot of, I mean, you've got to, like, look at where our country is right now and the sort of wave of anti-Semitism that's coming along with that. Mm-hmm. Whenever there is sort of a weird turn like a hardship turn that's usually what happens and so punk especially american punk was a huge response to like this idea that there was you know it's the wealthy capitalists oppressing us but that comes with anti-semitism yeah so that's also another huge reason that you know neo-nazis got um nazi punks get fucked is exactly is is where this comes from it's actually a real thing that happened yeah no that's the thing is there's always been this is this is unfortunately one of the downsides towards having a subculture um is that when you're trying to be sort of counterculture and you're trying to shock people and you're trying to be revolutionary is that some people's idea of revolutionary is like healthcare and and basic human rights for all trans people are people um fuck capitalism and some people are like neo-nazis and those are both technically Counterculture, although I would argue that there's a lot of white supremacy in American culture, obviously, but we don't have fucking time for that. Um, but 
because they're both counterculture, unfortunately, they will mingle in these spaces. Neo-Nazis in punk spaces is not a we- an unknown phenomenon. That's um, why you got to beat them out. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, here's the thing is I just said I really love Susie Sue. Mm-hmm. I re- There's a story in this book about she wore a fucking swastika armband at a Sex Pistol show and someone socked her in the fucking face and she didn't do it again. David Bowie, the whole Thin White Duke thing started as Bowie sort of commenting on fascism and, and, and you know, getting a little too close with the imagery. And then he actually went and met some Holocaust survivors in Berlin and went, I'm being an asshole and I should stop that. So, like. They would get up to that good line because it's also – yeah, no, seriously, good for him. It's And I'm glad he didn't go in the opposite direction, which was I'm going to be more of a fascist now. Like, thanks, Dave. But that being said, it's important to note that this was in this, the, like, the early 70s. So the Holocaust and World War II was a very living memory. Like, this was something that had happened when their parents were, you know, their age. So – they were aware of it in a way that I think we aren't, which doesn't make it okay. It absolutely, it makes it worse if anything, but like their attempts to shock by using neo-Nazi imagery were met with violence, which is the right thing to do because you do need to push these things out of these spaces really violently. Or you see stuff like how you start to see in um, current subcultures, certain subcultures that, play electronics and you know those guys i don't even want to fucking you you know what i'm talking about i'm not saying that shit are we gonna talk i mean we did spend an entire an entire section talking about those guys who like the cartoon horses and that and and no i am oh jesus because that subculture sprung up there real fast oh yeah but like that's also bad but i mean like when i i think because you know how video games haven't tried to do anything about like recruitment of gamers by neo-nazis that's like a thing i'm not saying that gamers are neo-nazis crazy when those crazy bible thumpers were like being crazy but they also had a sign that said gamers are murderers and we were like oh okay yeah like all right i mean stopped (laughs) shocking the worst person you know just made a great point but okay point being is that a lot of punk rock in the 70s in the uk um it was kind of weird to me that they, you know, my personal thoughts on the topic, because I just sort of explained where it came from and the subculture, it was sort of created as a response to what, like what culture it was created as a response to. Sorry. Um, I the sex pistols being, I, I've always loved the clash. I've always loved the clash deeply because I've really Joe, Joe Strummer was a really truly empathetic and compassionate and angry man and that's always been what punk is to me like i fucking love the clash um, um I'm the gonna... sex pistols started something but like they're i'm not... gonna give i'm gonna give a little bit of background to like my personal connection which is yes, that my father do. was oh my god my dad was in college in the late 70s early 80s as a scrawny jewish guy so naturally he was in the punk scene and he had a band, and it was terrible. And you can just imagine my mom being there and just not enjoying it. Oh, yeah. And you can just amazing. imagine him being like, are you having fun? And her being like, absolutely. Like, she leaves halfway through. Yeah, of course. I'm having a great time. I'll meet you in the car. <laughs> Bye. Um, but so, you know, he mentioned that when he was in college that, like, somebody did play the Sex Pistols all the time because it was, like, Hampshire. And I think that was, maybe that was a class? <laughs> Is oh, that God. a class? Yes. Um. I'm sorry. Let me give some background to this joke. <laughs> um, Hampshire College is a very is a is a college for like hip. I mean, it's it's a very good school if you're self motivated. But that was not my dad. 
But he had a great time. Wow, we're just going to drag your dad in this episode, huh? What are we, the Irish lady that lives near my house? Jesus fucking Christ. Um, Some lady pulled up to my house as we were decorating, had a conversation with us, clocked my dad, and drove off. It was beautiful. But she's our neighbor. Well, she's my dad's neighbor. I don't live there anymore. Your problem now. I mean, did he deserve it? Absolutely. But so I'm going to I'm just going to go ahead and say they're called the fucking Ramones, Phil. I mean, I because I understand that, like, they wanted to use like a UK band for some reason. But like, you know, the Ramones, the Ramones um, are are fundamental. Like, I mean, CBGBs, like you could have done this story with like. Because John loves New like John said. John loves New York. And like you could have even alluded to Zatanna because New York is just like slutty Gotham. Um, which is but, weird because I know what you're thinking. Isn't Gotham just slutty Gotham? And you're right. <laughs> but yeah, but the- like New York is Italian Gotham. Let me let me rephrase that. <laughs> I have no idea what the difference between isn't Gotham supposed to be Newark? Are we getting? I don't, yeah, are they allowed whatever. to say like, Gotham on know. Legends? Does Newark know what it's supposed to be anymore? The answer is no. Like it's just weird to me that the sex. Well, part of it was because here the the. Mark McLaren was the Sex Pistols manager, and this was a guy who basically was like, I'm going to make... They, he didn't... An important thing to understand about punk that the show didn't really touch on at all, which is a shame, is that punk actually wasn't really a music movement at first. It was an art and fashion movement. It, like, designers yeah. like Vivian Westwood were bringing what we were starting to think of as punk to the mainstream conscious after the styles of the 70s and 60s has sort of faded out they were like okay let's go in the exact opposite direction of like decadence and glamour and let's make stuff that's rough and evokes a working class image so punk started from there and then sort of fell out into music but with that in mind mark mclaren was basically trying to use the sex pistols to sell a brand um and make sid vicious sort of the the face of a movement and I mean, you did, but God, at what cost? Are you calling um, Phil a fake punk? It's remember. Do you remember when we were in Barney's? And this is going to make us sound really shushy, but it was yes. my birthday. Shut up. We yes. were in Barney's, and we were looking in the we men's. We were there section. to look at the clothes. We were. Oh yeah, we were just there to have fun. They have some really like just beautiful art sh- like art shoes there. They're just like fun to look at. I recommend going just to ogle. But we were up there, and we were looking in the men's section because I wanted to see if they might like have any cool like gender blend stuff. And they actually had a jacket, and it was a really pretty jacket that had lettering on the back that I was like, oh hey, that looks like the you know the Nevermind the Bollocks album cover. And the the um sales clerk there we started talking about it and he was like no that was actually designed by the same guy who did the coat it's i mean uh, who did the album cover the coat was designed by the same person it's supposed to be kind of a commentary on commercialization and art and the commercialization of punk and the sad truth of it is is like punk kind of ended up getting commercialized the sex pistols went on a fucking reunion tour you know who else goes on a fucking reunion tour dad rock bands fucking aerosmith and van halen like motherfucker the misfits are like they're still the misfits are still making music and like have wait, bands wait that 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 shirt that i see with a skull that says misfits that's, on it yep that's that's glenn danzig dude well he i mean he left the band forever ago but he was like the face of the band but um i thought it was like a movie like that that warriors ooh. movie the what don't you you know like sometimes when we're at smaller cons escape escape from new york you mean Yes. Sometimes when we're at smaller cons, we see those people dressed and they have their they have a club. Yeah, that was Kurt Russell. That was Kurt Russell. He was the inspiration for Solid Snake because, of course, he was. Um, Oh, that makes uh, sense. 
yeah okay, well, that listen, makes an uncomfortable I, I, amount of sense yeah but um yeah no like uh the misfits were another like i mean like that's the really that's the sad truth of it is like punk even at its like and it was it meant something at the time and it was important but even when something is important and means something and is vital and is really doing or trying to do great change, it's going to end up commercialized because that's just the fucking way of the world we live in. And that's I kind of wish, babe. basically, I kind of wish they'd had time to go into that. And they sort of tried and sort of didn't. Um, it's literally just Matt Ryan, not even Matt Ryan as John Constantine. Just Matt it's Ryan. Matt Ryan fucking chain smoking at the end of the episode, trying to summarize everything you just said. Yeah, basically. I'm assuming that's what he was doing in the writer's room. So, quick musical aside before we stop Phil's talking about eyebrow music. on fire. God. By accident. Quick, quick aside before punk we... rock. <laughs> we'll never recover. Um, but quick aside about music before we stop talking about music, since I just want to group it into one big thing. I am very actually annoyed about them doing the whole thing with disco again, because we get fed some hot bullshit about disco disco was, was in- a like safe haven for the lgbt movement black and gay people were making disco and disco was getting fucking ridiculously oh, popular and the other thing black gay people black also- yeah black gay people get black people gay people black and gay people we were all making disco like that was the thing like it was it was and it was crazy popular at the time so when we frame it it wasn't that america fell out of love with disco it was that white cishet violence made disco unsafe to talk about like literally like it, the disco demolition night that if you've never heard of that you should look it up but basically you know where that fucking happened what i i i know a sports stadium but i don't know which Shea one stadium motherfucker <laughs> but like okay so god disco demolition it. like what it's have almost the Mets ever done anything right honestly the only Actually, thing they've ever done right is play bts on that but um that you know like if, if oh, i no, had said to Chicago. you a bunch of... oh it thank god okay but like mm-hmm. if i said to you a bunch of white midwestern men mostly americans brought a bunch of disco cds to a baseball stadium and blew it up to protest a genre largely created and championed by black people, gay people, and black and gay people, you would say, that's a little on the nose for your dystopian novel, you weirdo. But that happened. So, like, disco wasn't, disco didn't fall out of favor. Disco didn't die. Disco was murdered. And there was a reason. I I cannot stress this enough. It was not at Shea Stadium. My apologies to the New York Mets. Whatever. Fuck the Mets. (laughs) Fuck them. Every sport is, you all have to answer for this crime. Honestly, um, if the Mets don't want me, fucking, fucking win a game for once. If yeah, you honestly. Me, um, be a good team. Do better. Get good. But um, that is something that really bugged me that the episode kept perpetrating because. I just can't. It, 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 it denies a history. used for the newspaper. It's just like. I feel like they took four photos of them separately and just fucking put it on a background. Oh yeah, it, it's a it's a very graphic design is my passion. I photo. just don't understand. It didn't even have to be that bad. No, it really didn't. It really fucking didn't. It's like they chose to make it that bad, and I guess I can respect that artistically, but like, I mean, I get like, what is this fucking sweet bro and hella legends? Um, well, are are Ray and Nate not sweet bro and hella Jeff? <sighs> I don't like it. 
I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Oh, God. Somebody sent me an ask where they were like, hey, remember how you said in last week's podcast that Phil needs to address that Nate misses Amaya and this week he did? Does he listen? And I'm like, first of all, I have I post this shit like Friday or Saturday. So thank God I have zero influence on what happens. For us? Thanks. We're not making your job easy. Sorry. I mean, thank God I have absolutely no influence on what happens on this garbage show. Yeah. Um, also, I just want to say a couple things about Legends. Like, I'm glad we actually just had a talk about punk and not even so much Legends and punk. Because, like, sometimes I think we don't. You and I are, at the end of the day, kind of like, there are certain things that I think we go pretty hard for. When they had yeah. that gross line about Nyssa and Doom World, we went really hard on that. Yeah. Um, When we feel that certain things that have larger cultural implications we go hard on that. I think I'd be like, I know you guys, I, I, I have a bit of a hard time. I would actually be like, why did you do that? Like, that was unnecessary. That would be the one thing I would genuinely want an answer for and be angry about even now. The Nissa line? Yeah. Oh, we know. Mark did it. He wrote the episode. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I wish that no. instead of disco albums, they had just burned Mark Guggenheim. Allegedly. Yeah. 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 Oh my god, what a shit heel. Um, yeah. but we're not gonna get angry about that right now, because yeah. we're gonna talk about this episode, which kind of focused on the fact that nobody can put their own goddamn pants on without Amaya there. Yeah, pretty much. Here are some of the highlights for the episode for me. Number one, the fact that Gary was like to Nate, I always thought of you as Amaya's arm candy. And Nate is kind of, and like, I feel like emotionally, Nate was like, and I was proud of that. Yeah. And I was gay. At home, they call me Bikini Nathaniel. Because I earned it, Gary. And I'm not just saying that. I earned it. <laughs> it's, 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 it is such a good moment in television history. It was so much. I really thought this was a great episode for Ray. Yeah. That Corgi tattoo he got was really well done. So good for him. Please do not go out and get the same tattoo. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't. It's not. It's not. It's a good TV tattoo. It's not a good tattoo. Because nobody can make a corgi actually look like that on your on your arm. No, that's not what it, that was. That was someone doing a stencil and an airbrush. That's not like that's not how it's going to look if you actually get also, a tattoo done. Also, Ray now probably has hepatitis. Yeah. Do not ever, and I cannot stress this enough. Do not get a piercing. Do not get a tattoo. Do not get anything subdermal in a place that has not been sanitized. That upset yeah. me on a very visceral level. Yeah. No, it was horrible. I hate it. Also, okay, so here's the thing is I can't week. talk about this episode. I still good news still have grievances to settle. They are not about the history of a, of a subcultural movement. They are about the fact that this fucking show, if it's gonna do fantasy stuff, it has to get its shit together because I can't keep fucking doing this. I just did I I just pulled literally five fucking books out of my goddamn bookshelf and my bookshelf is in the process of being reorganized since I'm moving. There is so, Okay, let me start from the beginning. At the beginning of the episode, they pinpoint what their potential magical monster of the week problem is. So John says it's a leprechaun. And I go, oh, okay. We're all right, whatever. And then he starts and he just starts spouting some bullshit about how like leprechauns have this number one grant wishes, which actually is accurate, although it's three wishes and the whole thing is a leprechaun is going to try to trick you into making a fourth before the night is over because then that undoes all the prior wishes. Go back to my research. Two, I he says something about... I'll know that now if I interact with a leprechaun. 
Yeah, no. So the leprechaun you remember is that Disney one. Channel movie about the guy who she, plays basketball. Yeah, Luck of the Irish. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks. That's it. Um. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um. Because I vaguely remember it. Um. Maybe. I think I saw promos for it. That's all right. My point being is that yeah, the whole thing is you can find you know you find his cauldron of gold or whatever the fuck they're calling it kettle cauldron same thing. Um. Huh. And he's like, oh, fine. I'll grant you three wishes. And then you have to sort of spend the night doing this. And if he can get you to make a fourth wish by the morning, this renders the other three null and void. So that will obviously be what he's trying to do. Um, So leprechauns are a really minor figure in Irish and English sort of fair folk folklore. Um, I did. I literally have books of just about fairies. Um, I had a stack of them because I also had around the same time as my, you know, goth. I don't want to call it a phase, but I don't know what else to call say, it. Because like you and I have so many weird specializations and knowledge about things. Like if you it's guys... been really weird. This season has been very weird for me because they're, they're doing the the past two episodes, this episode now, the fucking. Thank God, episode. next week is about like summer camp, and I wasn't allowed to go to sleepaway camp. Yeah, no, I didn't really so do something. we got camp, nothing so we'll be... on that, thank God. Yeah, no, well, and you like... guys will actually get to hear about the episode rather than... And if you guys do an episode of, like, the inventing of math or something like I'm... that, we'll be like, yeah, that seems legit. Yeah, sure, whatever. You could tell me anything about that and I'd fucking believe you. All right, so leprechauns don't have anything to do with counting. The thing, the, the phenomenon John described of the compulsive need to count, that's vampires, that's fucking vampires. Are... That's literally always been vampires. The most notable, and there's end... another book, the most notable, although it's common to most, if not all, vampire species as described in folk- folklore, the I two mean, that are... Maybe it Sorry. was wrong on purpose. Maybe that's the joke is that John is bad at things. They, I would, and you know what? I would be normally willing to believe that because I, I've said before that I prefer when John doesn't take his magic seriously. But the problem is, is that this show has... And there's never I would be willing to believe that if the show had sort of acknowledged or played around or joked with the idea that John is like a bullshit artist also. And if they'd hinted at that in the episode, but nothing I watched hinted at the idea that any that the leprechaun test or whatever the fuck it was, was anything other than like 100 percent real, true and legitimate magic. It's not that's not a fucking thing. It's never happened. Um, The two most Famous vampires for this are the Blautsauger, um from Austria and Germany, and the Alp, which is much easier to say. Um, these were the vampires that formed the basis for the um, modern version of the vampire, as well as anti-Semitic stereotypes. Hey! Oh, right, um, because you drop it and they have to count because Jewish people are greedy. That's funny. Oh, son of a bitch! Fuck, you're right. That Fuck! That's hilarious. Apparently... The other reason the book the book I have doesn't go into it that it doesn't say that but you're right. Um, it also mentioned the idea that apparently vampires counted very slowly and this was why this was done. But that doesn't like that doesn't contest your claim if if anything they fit together. And this would also be why sometimes knots or fishing nets were laid over corpses before they were buried. Um, so that way if they became vampires they would just go oh shit I have to count all these fucking knots and I guess just stay there doing that I forever mean, I know if I was a vampire and I'm not saying that I am and you can't prove it I know every time my necklaces get in a tangle I'm like I'm gonna spend all day oh, on yeah. this shit yeah no I feel morally compelled to do it no it's terrible um, but I'm but, not uh, a vampire and I don't drink human blood no not, not, not to my knowledge I can confirm but yeah that's not a thing 
<laughs> None of what you just said was a thing. Um, I think one of my favorite... I mean, like, here's the thing is he's like, it's a leprechaun. And we're all like, it's clearly not going to be a leprechaun because we know this is the episode that Maisie comes back. Yes. And we haven't seen her. So she's clearly going to show up. Now, here's the thing about shifters. Here's the thing about me and shifters, everybody. Is that True Blood, my favorite show of all fucking time, the show that destroyed me in every way a person can be, a show that broke me down and then did not bother to build me back up. Um, One of their major mythical creatures were shifters. Sam Merlot is a shifter and he can turn into like all kinds of animals and in season two and like this is and like this was really cool actually. In season two they have to deal with a maenad. Yes I love maenad. And the only way they can kill her is if she gives herself to Dionysus so they let her have her huge crazy party and then Sam shows up as a white bull and um, gores her. And That's that cute. was really Especially cool. the white bull. They're mingling their myths a little, but the white bull is really significant. That's Io's bull. That is also yeah. the bull that Pasiphae fucked and spawned the Minotaur. Uh, yeah, they were like, the white bull is Dionysus. And I was like, sure, why not? But then later, it turns out that if you shift into human beings, um, you can that shifters can shift into other humans, but only for short amounts of time because it's really hard. Mm-hmm. And then one of Sam's love interests shifts into Reverend Steve Newlin and then unshifts on TV and starts yelling about vampire prisons and then she dies. Beautiful. <laughs> and that's true. Oh my god. Actually, the last, the person who played Sam's love interest that didn't die, the girl he ends up with, who's like younger than him by a pretty decent margin, like hell yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. Thanks, True Blood, is actually a Journey Smollett Bell will be playing Dinah Lance in the Birds of Prey film. Good for her. I love her. Everything, everything. Somehow we always end up back here. I love it. <laughs> um, I, I, what the fuck? I mean, I guess this episode was mostly just me sitting around waiting for Maisie to show up. And then she did. Oh, yeah. I was like, great. Perfect. 10 out of 10. Yeah, no, it's weird because if you actually, because like there's a lot, I think, number one, because I was so annoyed about the leprechaun thing, I think a lot of this episode really was just everyone waiting around for Maisie to come back. I mean, Ray um, had a really good to... arc this episode. Um, Mick he and did, Sarah... I'll give him that. Um, trans solidarity and power. Yeah, Mick and Sarah helping him steal a corgi and then... Oh. The episode moment literally did one of my favorite things, like, with these sort of situations, which is, like, where the dude only agrees to it because the sweet person's more badass friend is like standing behind them like threatening to murder someone um i love that shit ray only being able to steal a corgi because mick and sarah intervene is adorable i mean the fact that also they gave the corgi such a specific haircut where i'm like ray palmer fucking dog hairstyles are my passion couple things couple things i want to point out oh yeah Number uh, uh, one is, how do you think Wallace West feels knowing that Nate and Ray broke up and Amaya is, like, not here for real? And Nate went, wow, I need a rebound. Gary? <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, the thing with, like, Nate and Gary hanging out is I was kind of, like, I almost was, like, don't get too attached because I know Nate's going to end up going back to the Wave Rider. Um, but I did like their hanging out, although I did feel like at certain points they had Gary be a little too mean to him about the whole Amaya thing and like uncharacteristically mean yeah. in a way that was like, I get that they were doing it because they wanted to be like, Hey, Nate misses Amaya and they couldn't figure out a better way to do it. But it, it just, and like, it just felt not only weird. does Nate miss Amaya, but it's going to be pertinent that Charlie yeah. looks like Amaya. Did you guys know that? And I'm like, I would have known that I would have, 
I, it was like I it was and I, it was because it was unnecessary that I was like fucking why. Um Mona is Yes, Mona. Cutest so, so fucking the cutest, cute. The cutest I am girl so, in the entire world. I love her. I want to give her everything. I hope she I'm has I'm so angry she wasn't in this episode more. I'm like if she had been everything in the time bureau like if it had just been her wandering or that had been the b plot like i'm like i fucking love the i, I would so literally watch cute. i would do an episode that was literally just like mona's day i would yeah i would literally like, just watch that because she's so cute and i know we just spent an like a long time ragging on the show for things unrelated to it but like i will say this show's biggest strength is immediately creating characters i will love and adore like i love Charlie, yeah i mean like do we want to talk about charlie because i like her yeah, a lot. I, I, because that was gonna be in my like long spiel so like yeah i guess because like i we actually got we actually got some asks and i appreciate it really i love when people ask us things um even yeah. though they're always really fielded to rachel because i don't use tumblr anymore I appreciate that we had some trans. Um, Actually, for our listeners, is there any chance you might ever come back to Tumblr or you out? It's not that I'm out because I've just made a choice to be out. I am so goddamn busy. Yeah. <laughs> like I am. I am. I am working full time. I am working on Nano right now. I am trying to move. I am just not. When I use Tumblr, it's because I have content to share. That is more like I use Twitter as like a diary. Um, when I post to Tumblr, it's because I've created something or I've written something or I've edited something. I haven't been able to do that recently. So I have not had a reason to be on Tumblr. I don't use it for the same sort of like day to day perusal that I would use Twitter for. So Whereas... I do plan on coming back to Tumblr unless in that interim between now and then something better comes up. That would be a better hub for that sort of social media content. But I'm not like abstaining on purpose. I'm just fucking busy. Uh, don't worry, guys. I'm here forever. So yeah. <laughs> no. Well, you also have you. You can create. You create uh, stuff in Photoshop more often yeah. than I do. I have not had the time. And frankly, my new computer unfortunately doesn't like running this version of Photoshop. I've had to finagle with that. Um, I will at some point. I might. I might actually ask you to help me with it this weekend. But no, that's no. not the point. My point being is that. Rachel and I also don't really worry about it because Rachel fields me any questions we get so don't worry if you're asking stuff about legends in the review I'm seeing it too um and I was received a question about whether or not I would talk about Charlie in a trans context and I was already thinking about doing that because the second that I see a character that can shapeshift I'm like that bitch is trans because the the I, one of the very first loves of my life was Kurt Wagner, and you can tell because I pronounced his name like that. And when I was little, and, and in I was the Munich Act Circus, I was Listen. known as the Incredible Nightcrawler. Is that because he was played by Alan Cumming, or do you think that just sort of fit perfectly in your life? Um, no, because it was I didn't. This was before I was gonna about to say when he was in X Men Evolution, I was transfixed by the fact that he had this human form but his real form his true form the form that fit him was this blue fuzzy elf thing i that rocked my little fucking nine-year-old world like i was like you can do that like i just it spoke to me in a way that i'm looking back and going you were just fucking trans. And, and like, here I was relating to all the teen uh, drama, TM. Yeah, I, no, was, and I was essentially, and this is the saddest thing I will ever say. 
in my life. I was in love with Scott Summers. I'm so no, sorry. No, it's okay. I was in love with Kitty Pride. I, I mean, you. that's there's nothing wrong with and that. And Kurt, obviously. There's nothing wrong with that, Scott. I mean, and that's the thing. I was also it's a like, little younger. I guess maybe that proves, if anything else, that I am Emma Frost because I'm just sitting here like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Um, Absolutely no but whatsoever. He's just a dumbass. Yeah, he's a dumbass with a washboard for a back. But, like, I fucking loved Kurt. And, like, I think it's specifically because I like Kurt in the comics, but there was something about that specific version of Kurt that has always sort of drawn me in. And it is because of the fact that he has this sort of passing form, if you will, and then his monster form that he feels is his true form and is the real him, even though people reject it. And I'm just doing air quotes like for every word at this point, but you get my point. Like shapeshifters have been used to sort of denote gender fluid or gender queer or trans characters for fucking ever. Um, they've been used to explore gender as much as they've been used to explore humanity because it's seen as sort of an easy sort of workaround of the system. And this comes with its benefits and its drawbacks. The thing I appreciated about Charlie that is really good versus other shape-shifting characters we might see is the fact that Charlie is while not like she's never implied to be like a literal actual for real monster. She's just, I mean, she is, but we don't see like the secret monster form that she has. She's pretty much a human with fancy powers. And I actually appreciate that because a lot of times, especially with like trans metaphors is these trans metaphors are contained in non-human devices. You have like shape-shifting robots or shape-shifting demons or shape-shifting ghosts or whatever, and things that aren't human. It's nice to have a trans-coded character that is not that far removed from human. It makes the metaphor a little easier to sort of relate to. Although I love my monster metaphors, don't get me wrong. I love also seeing human trans characters. And the fact that Legends gets the closest I've ever seen something do in a non-weird sexual context, talking about the idea that shapeshifters don't have binary genders, that meant a lot to me when she was like, basically like, gender's whack and so are rules. Tucking, Tucking in, in your, your shirts fools. for fools. And their words that were so a, hateful. This episode. Son of a bitch. Oh my god. Son of a fucking bitch, right? Oh. Had to do the lammy fucking lip. Fuck! Fuck! Ray literally did have to do the <laughs> Are you- Fuck! Did you leave? I hate this! Oh my god, I really hate this! Fuck! Okay, holy shit, I'm okay. I'm so mad. Fuck. Oh god. But that's what I really- I'm still fucking mad. Give me a second. That's what I really loved about Charlie, is that she- voices this she says out fucking loud that she doesn't really worry about a binary gender and i'm using she because they use she i would actually love if the show used gender i would lose my fucking marbles if the show used gender neutral pronouns for her and if she still had a feminine appearance and she still looked like amaya good great you would never know looking at me that i was trans i would have to be wearing something that was trans and once i get top surgery it's over for all you motherfuckers but that's not the point my if she looks like Maisie and still uses gender neutral pronouns that would make my fucking life that would just like and it would also make up for the little oopsie y'all did we were getting there all right i talked about all the good stuff and normally i like to lead with the bad stuff but i think i've browbeaten them enough with bad stuff this 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 podcast episode but um actually before you before you start can i just say one thing yeah i think that it's in character for constantine to have done this 
Yeah, because I'll, as you yeah. pointed out, he's a bastard, and I think he's more people need to acknowledge that. And I don't think there's like having a bastard character is totally fine, but like there are other things that could have been done. And so I see this as a writing choice and not a character reflection on Constantine. Oh yeah, for for reals. I think it's. I understand, and we've t- we've talked about this before. This show has five dollars in a paperclip. I get that they don't really have the budget or the actors for shape shifting. I I understand the constraints that they are that they have in place that prevent them from doing this i can immediately think of a solution that didn't involve something like what happened which is charlie decides she wants to stay with the team the team says okay but you have to promise not to shapeshift and she says okay because i really want to stay with you guys and i don't want to go to hell so she chooses voluntarily to not shapeshift so that she can continue to be on the team and the team has to trust that she's going to follow through on it. So it's an awkward, tense relationship, but they slowly grow to trust trust each other. It's perfect. It's this kind of stuff that Legends normally does. That's it. Or you could just have Charlie straight up decide, I want to hang out with these people. I'm just not going to shapeshift. Have her make that decision. Or and she just... could have just run out of shapeshifting juice for the night. In that moment, yeah. But, like, again, they would have to come up with the... Yeah. They would have to... I know that... I think the thing is, is I know they're looking for a slightly more permanent solution because they don't have the money um, to, to portray it and then all the actors and, like, all the realistic things that come along with the problems here. Yeah. I get it. It's why they didn't really ever have Wally use his speedster powers. Oh, yeah. Um, People were so upset about that. And I'm like, what are we going to do with $3? Yeah. Like, Legends has even less money than The Flash, which is a really sad sentence. Um, all that money went towards that one weird inflation fetish episode. Um, On the Flash. Legends hasn't yeah. done that yet. Legends is getting there. Legends is yet. definitely getting there. I'm haunted. I'm fucking haunted. Um, anyway, that being said, it if you've ever seen the live action movie version of Maleficent, there's a scene where Maleficent has her wings removed and it is shot. And, and this is this is the director's commentary confirms this. It is shot, written, edited and set. Like, it is a rape scene. It is treated like a rape scene to have her wings clipped. When I was way too young, like 12, 13, reading Sandman, one of the volumes of Sandman has Dream going down to hell and Satan being like, sup, I'm out. And to prove that I'm out, you got to cut my fucking wings off because I don't actually remember why. And well, because like and then because immediately what happens afterwards is something that is very violent and intimate, having his wings cut off. And it's it's metaphorical rape. Having your wings clipped and clipping an angel's wings is the specific term John uses. That is, is violence. Violent imagery. That is brutal. It is deliberately brutal. And I can't help but think of all the actual real life trans people who have had their actual real life fucking wings clipped. Metaphorically speaking. I mean, actually, as as you as some of you may not be aware, we do all have wings. But I can't even joke about this. I'm so angry because like, I just think about all trans people who not even trans people who get murdered because of course I'm thinking about them. I'm always thinking about them, but like trans people who don't get to transition, who don't get, who don't, who don't get to change, who don't get to come out of the closet, who have to detransition because when they try to come out, they're met with violence and pushback. And then they get used as a statistic to prove that other trans people aren't real or that they're not real. And it makes me fucking furious. It just makes me so fucking angry. And I know at some point she's going to get her shape-shifting powers back. I get it. But I understand that this was for budgetary restrictions, too. Get that. You didn't have to do it like this. Especially when you went to 
all the trouble of doing all of that good stuff that I said before. You, 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 you either gotta not meet me at all, or you gotta meet me all the way. Because when you do it halfway like this, it doesn't. It, it hurts worse. I would rather, frankly, if if she had just been sort of like a monster that just had random shape shifting powers, so that she could take Amaya's form for drama, and there was never really any sort of other than like the cursory basic stuff trans metaphor stuff brought up i would be like all right fucking i guess i would still hate it because i'm never comfortable with like depowering sort of storylines depowering is to me is just something inherently nasty it's it's nasty and especially in comics has a history of doing crip yeah sure cripple the bitch the dark phoenix arc um they were initially going to depower gene but jim shooter specifically said no because he wanted her to be punished more so that's why she died but they were going to depower her as punishment, like completely, not just get rid of the Phoenix, depower her as punishment. In comics, women always get depowered and it is almost always some kind of rape metaphor because men don't know how to write any other kind of violence happening to women. And I fucking hate it. But in that, I just, if you were gonna start and you were gonna hint at trans concepts, you you can't do stuff like that. You can't create that kind of violence to that character afterwards. It's not fuck. It's fucking cruel. It really is. It's also uncomfortable for a character that's like canonically by like John Constantine to put him in this like it. And then it yeah. sort of muddles things for like it's like it's bad. And then also I just want to mention that it's like we don't want this to reflect on like me. Like this is not no about none of Maisie this has anything to do with Maisie. Maisie, Maisie an angel. Is, is great, and I actually have I'm a lot she's of back. I'm really happy. I really kind of wish it had just been AUMIA because I'm kind of almost uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I'm like, there's no, we've, the whole problem with Amaya before was I was like, there's no comfortable way we're going to end this because she's going to have to leave because they're going to have to preserve the timeline. They can't, they can't not do that. And then they did, they had her leave. And then I was like, okay, well, if we just have like a replacement AU Amaya, like it's whatever, this is legends. It'll just carry on. Like it was my biggest hope, especially because everybody who writes the show loves Maisie so much. And the yeah, fans that's, love that's, Maisie. I'm less worried about that, but I'm worried. Um, about I think the best resolution for this is that Charlie gets her powers back. John apologizes. We uh, just, and, and she just gets her powers back and she's like, I actually like this form a lot and I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. Like if and she just says this is just going to be my default form now, I'm okay with that. And that's just what we and that's just what we do. Yeah. And that's just how we do it. And then instead and then to save money on shapeshifting, we just have Maisie wear bad costumes all the time. Or yeah, or like cuz this is yeah, she could just like not shapeshift. She could just be there to be cute. It's exactly. Fine. I mean, here's the thing is that I actually really like kind of they were like Charlie's a rebel without a cause. And I'm like she actually has a lot of really good causes. Yeah. No, she's like actually got a lot on her, a lot so on her plate. So that's actually something like you know if we want to transition. Yeah. Um, because that's the only thing we know how to do here. I am actually really excited for this role for Maisie because I think I would love to see her get the chance to sort of be outspoken in a role, and I just think there was a better. Like, yeah. It could have been better, but I I am excited for Maisie to have this, and it's just one of those things with Legends where, like I say, they always do one stupid thing every fucking episode. Every episode, they like sort of almost get there, and then they just and then they just stick their dick in it. I mean, like, and I totally get you, and I agree. I think it hurt a little. I mean, oh, I understand. This one hurt a lot more than others. Sometimes you can brush them off more easily than others, and then sometimes they really do just fucking trip and fall down the whole staircase. because, like, sometimes it's, like, stupid shit, like the leprechauns thing, where I'm like, that's wrong and dumb, but, like, it, who gives a shit? 
or like the fucking like you know like the punk shit like who fucking cares they didn't really say anything bad there but like none of it that wasn't like sometimes it's dumb shit sometimes it's stuff that really fucking hurts and it's one of those things you actually said something really important to me which was you know if they want me to believe that they are sort of trying to intentionally push the boundaries of queerness on this show especially you know not just with sarah and ava but with other characters Mm -hmm. then i also have to then hold them to the same task for trans things oh straight up and i really took that to heart yeah no i mean that's the thing is like i want you guys to do it right or i want you guys to get there or try you don't it doesn't have to be perfect i think you know, to, to tangent slightly, I think sometimes what I see, especially because one of my big things is creating trans characters and fan content because people are, I think, afraid of headcanoning characters as trans in a way that they're not headcanoning them as when they're headcanoning them as gay. And it was actually being able to headcanon characters I'd previously assumed were cis as trans people that allowed me to come out. So I hold a really firm stance on like people should be able to do this, obviously. Um it's the sort of thing where I see a lot of people who I think are afraid to sort of touch gender issues because they don't want to fuck up. And I, I get that. I, I appreciate that they want to do it right. But then the thing I often hear is, well, I don't want to set trans people off. I don't want to make them angry at me. Most of the time, I wasn't like before when I was like, when I was venting, I was about to cry. I wasn't angry. I was really upset. So if you're getting, you know, if you're getting kind of like, if you're getting reamed by a trans person, for writing something like that. We're not usually angry. We're just tired and hurt. And you're not the first person that's done something shitty and stupid. So sometimes people will explain it to you patiently because they're in a good emotional place to do so. And sometimes people might have, might be a little harder. They might cry or yell or get really angry. And I know that sucks and is scary and you can feel like a piece of shit. It's, unfortunately kind of a risk you have to take when you're writing marginalized identities and you have to not hide behind the excuse of I don't want to upset trans people um and I don't want to do something that like will set them off because like you're so that's where the whole did you just assume my gender meme comes from like the idea that trans people are hysterical overreactionaries like I want them to be able to do this right and I'm not yelling at them the same way I would yell at like a misbehaving toddler or, well, I wouldn't really yell at a misbehaving toddler. That's bad. Um, they don't really know any better. I, like, the same way I would yell at, like, a misbehaving fucking dog. Um, I'm upset the way that I would be upset with a good friend who did something that hurt me personally. Um, it's important to ask for more. And it's important to be happy with your successes and explain why the failures went wrong and how they can improve when you have the energy and time to do so. So that's why I'm taking all this time to talk about Charlie. I really hope that they can use this character to explore good and cool things with gender in the future. Maybe. If they can do it. Um, and I think Maisie's been pretty chill about gender stuff. Um, I she really appreciated. She played a non-binary character in the play that she was in over the summer and really talked about, had some really great things to say. Because she's really smart, and for some reason she's still here. So, like, and you know, especially as a as a you know gay women, woman, and we don't want to assume anything else about no. Maisie aside from what she like tells us about herself, so we don't yeah. want to like overstep. So it's the sort of thing where I'm not, I don't know whether I don't know her gender. I mean, I know her pronouns or the pronouns she's currently using, but 
if even if she is cis, which I don't know, and I don't want to assume, but if she is, I I can't think of a, a cis character I would trust. A cis character, I can't think of a presumably cis person I would trust more to play a character that experiments with gender and may or may not end up as non-binary. And I'm tr- trying to choose my words very carefully there. Um, because it's complicated, like most things. And shit, if even I have to consider and choose my words carefully and I identify as a trans person, it's okay if that cis people are like, shit, this is really complicated. Like, it, it is. It really is. It's okay for it to be complicated. And everyone's going to have different opinions. You just have to try not to fall into tropes that are really old and surprisingly common and easy to reference. The complicated stuff, that's where people will usually forgive you. It's the basic depowering and stripping trans metaphors of their ability to do the trans thing. That's pretty basic. That, that's not an uncommon thing. That you can safely avoid. That You just have to know that that's what you need to avoid. That's not that hard, I promise. But, you know, I know we've been talking. We've been, I mean, the, the, first, the first half of this was an educational podcast. The second half, I did enjoy this episode, but all of it was like, I love Mona, but also I'm waiting for Maisie to come yeah, back. Yeah, no, the entire episode was literally... Um... Do we want to talk about, before we end, do we want to talk about um, Zari and Mick looking at Amaya? Oh, I definitely want to talk about that for one second, but I just want you to know that I was trying to make a joke about Maisie's name in Waiting for Godot, and I just couldn't come up with one. Amazing for Godot. Uh, you know. I, listen, it's hard. It's, I, it is. It is. And see, and that's, and that's the problem I had. It's really tough. Um. Anyway, I mean, I know they're sort of saving Nate because they want his meeting with Amaya to be this big dramatic thing. But I'm like, she already. How, first of all, the fact that Mick was like, she. It cuts to Mick first, and then it cuts to Zari. First of all, the fact Which... that it cuts to Mick first, the fact that he lowered his gun, the fact that he's like, make her not Amaya again, and he's really mad about it. I want everyone to know that I've never shipped Mixon in my life, but if I had, it's very autistic. If I, I hate to say, and I know, I mean, again, hi, welcome back to the McRory is an autistic adult channel. Um, but there's but something, I... especially specifically about the make her Amaya again, where I'm like, I... okay, Mick doesn't have like having his routines and expectations. Make her not Amaya again is what he said. Yeah, sorry. Make her not Amaya again is such a fucking, but it's I... hard to explain. And then for him to say, but I do like her. I'm like, if oh, I, somehow if, that's worse. If I did hypothetically ship Mixon at any given point in my life. It would be the worst thing. This would possibly be the end of my life. Yeah, it would be the worst thing. It would it would kill you. The worst thing that could ever happen to me personally. Which is why it's a really good thing that you've never shipped Mixon. Not once in your life, ever. (laughs) Not even once. (laughs) You know, thank God I'm not a dumb bitch with terrible taste and that I will change and that I will improve. (laughs) And then the fact that Zari... Like, John is like, you're not going to fall for that, are you? And Zara is like, I'm fucking dumb and gay. How dare you assume I'm better than this? Big mood. It just, and I love that. I mean, and that's the thing is, like, I don't want to pretend that, like, Amaya isn't important to Sarah and Ray as well, because they were also both kind of, like, devastated by this. But it's interesting that those are the two people they focused on the most, isn't it? Phil? I, I don't know, Philip. And here's the thing is, like, I don't want Zari to fuck John Constantine because every woman that Ew. fucks John Constantine dies. Yeah, ew, I I ew. have a little bit more faith that the show like likes sorry enough not to do that to her, but like he's fucking emotional poison, and I don't want him having sex. No, it's gross. Stop it. Um, and also Zari is a. Here's the thing: is that like I, because Zari is Isis in the comics, you do have to think about like who's allowed to be LGBT on Legends. Yeah, and who isn't. 
because of their legacy. And so it's kind of frustrating when I think a lot of people, and I think the writers are aware that a lot of people are like, Zari is a lesbian. And then fucking, and I don't blame Legends. I blame Dan Didio personally, as I do with most things. Oh yeah, straight up. And so Phil, I will... I will swear a temporary peace with you if you drive me to GC Comics offices. So fight, I may fight, fight. So fight. I may destroy the beast. And then of course yeah, after I've done that our blood our blood feud will resume, but yeah. For those brief moments we will have kinship and those brief also we'll make Zarya a lesbian. Well, yeah. Um and anyway, it's just me sitting here fucking fucking knowing full well that Charlie and Zari probably aren't going to be canon. Just like, can't wait for Zarly to be canon. Gay rights. Because, I hope so. Um, and also, I just... And here's the thing. If Charlie tries to fuck Mick, I think he's just going to jump off a building. He would kill himself. He's so tired. Dominic Purcell was like, there's not going to be any love interests for Mick this season. And I'm like, that's wild, given that Mick has had about 10 consistent love interests per I know. season. And the thing is, and I kind of really love a lot that everyone wants to fuck Mick. And like, I love it. Like in this new relationship with Charlie... Phil Klemmer personally called me after the episode and he said, what did you think, bitch? <laughs> and I said, I hate you. Oh, yeah. And he said, good, die. So and then he hung up. And he always calls me from a burner weird. phone, so I can never call him back. God. It was weird. But um, that is something where, like, I really... But I kind of love the fact that Mick is... Everyone wants to have sex with Mick and Mick is not happy about it. <laughs> Yeah, even Mick and Sarah were having this weird thing in season Like, everyone one. wants to climb Mick like a fucking tree. But now, like, but now he me. and Sarah... What I love about Mick and Sarah is that they sort of went from this weird relationship in season... Like, they're very much a duo Yeah, now. Like, the kind of quiet signal she gives him and he always backs her up with his muscle... Yeah. Is... It's adorable. Is the best thing. And also, oh, yeah. um, wild for Dominic Purcell to say... Someone today, I saw someone with my own fucking eyes in God's own domain in the fifth year of Luigi call Cold Wave a bromance with a B. Uh, this is why God doesn't talk to us anymore. I literally don't. Like, I'm just, I'm just, oh, okay, um, sure. Like, what do you say to that? What do I even do? How do I respond? Like, what's it like in, like, the, the alternate fucking timeline you're living in? Like, what? Fuck. It's what most... show are you fucking watching? I hate it. I really do. It's weird. It upsets me. I hate it. I mean, and here's the thing. It's like, you want to know what thoughts, what takes on Legends of Tomorrow are correct? Ours. That's it. Yeah, that's it. We're two weirdo doll collectors, and we're both... If I met Phil Klemmer in person, I would cry at this point. Not out of shame, but just out of being overwhelmed. Yeah, I would just be like, oh dear. Um, Okay, hi. Latest update, and this is the last, this is what I'm going to end the podcast on, is that someone tweeted, breaking Guy Fieri re-elected as mayor of Flavortown. And Guy Fieri posted this photo and said, thanks to all the hardworking community members of Flavortown. It was a delicious campaign, and we are rolling out for another four years. Hell yeah. Also, um, you mean Supreme Court Justice Guy Fieri? Is that a fucking Homestuck reference, you piece of shit? (laughs) (laughs) The way you said, okay, listen, you can't tell me that you wouldn't want Supreme Court Chief Justice Guy Fieri. Compared to what's going on right now, I would take a Supreme Court of nine Guy Fieri's. Willingly, <laughs> we're gonna clone. Yeah. Anyway, um, um congratulations to Flavor okay, Town. So next next week is the summer Flavor camp Town. episode, so we'll probably actually enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, we enjoyed. Uh, th- we really did really enjoy this like episode. A I had so much fun doing all the research about how they were wrong. Sometimes you um, win, sometimes you lose. 
trans stuff was obviously a little thornier, but like, I actually really did enjoy the punk stuff. Was it perfect? No, but it also wasn't so in- inaccurate that it bugged me. I just thought it would be fun to educate everybody on like, they keep doing these weird special interests I had pre high school and I don't know how to respond to it. Anyway, um, thank you for listening. Um, thank you for asking me about trans stuff. Thank you for being a really cool, chill audience. Um, we're still working on possible transcript things. Please we're doing don't the best host. We can. Yeah, if anybody has any information on something that would help us transcript Please these horrible nightmares, know. because this is just horrible audio. If there's and... anything we can upload these like audio files to and then edit auto captions, that would be really great. Um, something like that. Please let us know. We would love to have transcripts for hearing and impa- hard of hearing viewers, but we're also really busy. Yeah, no, and unfortunately, that is just not something, especially because, you know, I barely have time to edit this. Yeah. We barely managed to record this this week. So, unfortunately. yeah, sorry. It was election season. Um, election um, night, whatever. Point being, I actually, I actually got to go to bed. Okay, uh-huh. so I'm going to, I actually have to finish doing something for work. So, uh, Yay! this Back time next week in Flavortown. Good night, everybody. All right, see you next week. Same time, same channel. I'll be looking for you next time on. Oh, shit. See you next week. I'll be looking for you next time on. Oh, my God. Was that, did you literally just do the fucking bumper at the end of Diner's Drive-In? Yes, God damn it. How did you not notice? I we took brought- me, it took me. You know what? Good night. Good night. <laughs>